recording now? We are recording, yeah. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Trapping Inc. Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich. And I'm Sandy. And uh, welcome to our on-location, exotic um, background today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, saying you're on location may, brings apart uh, visions of uh, Africa or New Zealand or something, right? Yeah, something well. really cool other than up in the woods of northwestern Alberta. This but is our trap line. This is our trap line cabin. And uh, it's, we haven't been here that often this year. It's still pretty exotic to us. Yeah, well... This year has been unusual in its state of busy, and uh, we haven't been up here since the end of April, so we've had a lot of stuff to do this weekend. Oh while my we're up goodness! Here. It looked like hobos had moved into my fur shed because I, everything I just, as the year end of the year comes on, and I'm I'm finishing with one, one uh, season, one fur season after another after another. Uh, things just get thrown in there because I'm cleaning up and of course we're, we're maintaining a filming schedule and an editing schedule and all that kind of stuff so it all piles up and I, and I always have you know usually I get back just as the snow is leaving because then I get to go on my yearly Easter egg hunt <laughs> <laughs> yeah if we went on the Easter egg hunt now everything would be buried in all of this lush green oh, that you can see all around us here what my Easter egg hunt is is I spend the the trapping season losing stuff uh, whether it falls out of uh, out of a uh, pack basket, a machine, or, or box, or whatever, or I just throw stuff down. Like lots of times when I'm editing, I will see where I used a, a set of uh, setters and, and I've removed a trap off of a Martin or whatever, drop it on the ground, and walk away, and I no, I can go right back there and go get them, and I do. But usually, usually in the springtime, just as the snow is gone, I go out and I follow around on the on the tracks, and and uh, I'm pretty good. I managed to to recycle everything. Yeah, we don't have, we don't usually have to rebuy, um, which is a good thing. We got a, a full crew today out here with us. Uh, our production crew, uh, the gray guy, the Weimarander is Eli. The guy laying in the in the uh, dirt over there, acting like roadkill, is Fud. And there's one of them here has got a stick. Oh, that's Gunner. He'll he'll be in and out trying to get me to throw the stick as the day goes on. But we thought we'd give this a try. This. Um, is something new for our podcast. It's not like uh, we're really experienced at podcasts. This is number nine or ten. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> and we thought just because we were here, it wasn't like it was inside my office or anything. Maybe we'd film it and, and put it up on YouTube. Uh, Want to make sure everybody takes the time to subscribe to our YouTube um, or to the podcast. Uh, or if you're a member of, of Amazon Prime, you can watch all of our episodes on Amazon Prime. Uh, Trapping Inc. is up there. And uh, we're, we're getting lots of views, but we can always get, get more, right? You can go to our, our website at trappinginc.com, and you can find all the connections from there. Including Facebook. I That's don't think right. We, I don't think we mentioned Facebook. So if you actually aren't part of our Facebook page, and, uh, and because of this podcast or YouTube, you have a chance to go and visit that page, you'll find that we do update quite a lot throughout our trapping season and whenever there's something interesting going on so and when we come out here there's always something interesting going on even if it's just spam <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you can explain why spam might be interesting because most people think spam as in email spam but now this is authentic spam i love spam i know you do i love it fried i love it 
cooked on a stick over the fire. I, I love it cold. I love it anywhere. There's always, if you, you lift up the seat on one of the snowmobiles or, or look in the box on the Argo, there's a can of Spam. And I know that I'm going to be able to make it if, he, if I'm ever broke down or whatever. I can eat Spam that night or whatever I need. But Spam and uh, fried Spam and eggs for breakfast, I love that. <laughs> we, should, we should do that, though. We should have a competition. People oh. send us spam recipes. I think that'd be a great idea. So what are we going to put up on offer for for that? I don't know. We could mugs. Ah. We could we could do mugs. We could do a mug. Maybe we do two mugs. Yeah. And you know what? Until, they're going to have to have listened to this podcast to know about this competition. They are, and we're going to run it until when? End of September. Oh, for a mug? That's kind of a long ways. How oh. about, how about Probably for a couple of weeks anyway. Okay. End of August. I don't know. End of August then. End of August is good. Yeah. We'll draw on the 1st of September. Yeah. I will. I will. You'll have to have watched this podcast or listened to this podcast. But if you go to our our uh, Facebook page, uh, Trapping Inc. TV, I'm going to have a post up there for the secret co- contest. That's the one that you want to take and, and uh, enter on. How are they going to enter? Um, I think they can do it off of the post on Facebook that'll say secret. No, but what, 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 how are we going to know that, you know, this is for, this is for... Oh, this is for a recipe. Well, you're going to have to send us a recipe. Sure. Or, or, a picture, or a picture of you cooking Spam over a fire or oh. at your cabin or whatever. That's, that's easier. That's authentic. You know, because spam, Spam's there for anything. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's not like you've got to be really challenged to be able to cook and eat Spam. <laughs> no, but you know, speaking of Spam... And having reacquainted myself with Spam again since you bought the three-pack at Costco, um, we were on something of a vacation. Well, actually, it was a vacation. We were on a vacation in the uh, Okanagan Valley in British Columbia, and we went with some friends to a very, very high-end winery, and we had a little plate of... Meats and cheeses. Well, and it was really high end. They don't call it a plate. It was called a board. Oh, a board. There was a board of cheese, and there was a a, a meat board. And one of the, one of the items on the meat board was pate, which looked suspiciously like spam. T- didn't taste as good as spam, though. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it just kind of you know that's kind of where the whole we got intrigued with spam again because I think the comment around the table was. That really did look a lot like spam. It was false advertising. It was. It was <laughs> false advertising. I the like wine spam. was good, though. The wine was good, and uh, and we really enjoyed the company of our friends. So that was the the, the company was great. I don't drink, so the, there there was nothing there for me. I cannot imagine though going from one winery to the next to the next to the next and calling that a day. Oh, oh, I can, <laughs> and I did actually. I'm not I'm not much of a wine girl. I have to say, but the but it was a girls a girls day one one of the days that we were there and we did do exactly that. Yeah, but you didn't do from, any shopping. Yeah, well. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So they were doing a wine tour and there was no shopping involved. In fact, I sent you a picture of vegan leather, folks. Oh, I yeah. didn't think that that existed. Um, and I just had to send a picture of it to Richard and say, for goodness sakes, really? Well, what, what on earth is vegan leather? <laughs> I 
I mean, I still don't know. Is it cardboard? Or did the animal just eat grass? I mean, come on. <laughs> I don't get this one. Vegan leather, folks. Yeah. Let it Drop us a line. Let us know what on earth vegan leather is. <laughs> We're intrigued. We would like to know. <laughs> The little things that keep us busy and our minds occupied through the summer. Because in the winter we are, this this is a paradise of a different sort. Usually buried in about three to ten feet of snow and, uh, and cold. We wouldn't, we don't generally sit out and chat with our coffee because it would turn into iced coffee in no time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had to get a good fire going in order to, to have a smudge to knock down the bugs. They were bad. Oh, man. Yeah. As the days got warmer, though, of course, the mosquitoes back off, which is good. But one of the things that we're doing here in order to make it possible for the winter is getting wood. Yeah. And you can see behind us there, we've got a, got, got that uh, woodshed. It's only partially full. We've got to get back at that again today. Yeah, well, you'll see there's some piles of wood back there, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got this, the, the Range Road splitter back there. That has made a huge difference. Yeah. Well, it allows us to put up our entire winter's worth of wood that we use to heat the big cabin, uh, which has a loft in it, so it takes more energy and more BTUs to heat that cabin on, uh, on an ongoing basis. And then uh, then the skinning shack just back over here, which we we keep at least up to temp, a little bit above uh, above zero, so that when Rich comes back with fur in traps, we can hang those out there and uh, at least defrost to the point where we can get the the animal out of the trap. Yeah, yeah, and it takes about six cords of wood. That um, wood shed you see back there, when she's stacked right to the rafters, we get about six cords in there. And um, we've had winters where we, where we burnt as little as three, and we've had winters where we burnt like five and a half, yeah. <laughs> where I was starting to eyeball up trees in the yard here. <laughs> well, you know, the nice thing is, is that as you can see, that we aren't too far away from wood if we need to, but what we generally try to target is uh, pine beetle killed pine trees yeah Do, you know there's a lot of people not going to know what what beetle is the pine beetle is and before we get that i want to say though um we don't have the luxury a lot of you folks a lot of our friends uh in the us of a you burn hardwood and god bless you but i'm so envious because <laughs> uh the only hardwood we've got around here is um aspen or popple popple that, that's that that's their term for it Oh. It's popple. <laughs> well, I say poplar, so. Well, we, we call it poplar. They call it popple. Um, whatever. We all know what it is. It's a very, very soft uh, hardwood. Some places here in northern Alberta, there is some birch. And that would be the hardest hardwood that we have. But birch is so uh, cherished in that. I mean, that's something you burn in your in your fireplace, in your house. Yeah. Not only in the cabin. We don't have any birch on our, our entire and trap it's, line. it's a lot more, the beetle-killed pine is a lot more plentiful out here and closer for us. On occasion, um, we've looked at tamarack now. Tamarack is a, is a very hard wood, but the places you get it in the summertime are usually three <laughs> feet deep in water. Well, we, we went and looked at, at, at some yesterday there, and I would have needed my chest waders yeah. on, and even at that, I might have got wet. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't ideal. However, they're not too far off a road or what have you, so if, we, if we're really in a pinch, we could probably go cut those down. So pine beetle, and it's a western pine beetle, I believe it's called, it was always native to BC, British Columbia, the, the province to the west of us but it was never native here in Alberta. And it causes a great deal of damage. The beetles um, 
is it June? I think it's the first two weeks of June. They they hatch out and the, the adults start flying and they fly in swarms. And we happen to have one of those freak storms where one of these swarms got blown over the Rocky Mountains. The Rocky Mountains were always our division between BC and Alberta and it kept the, uh, the pine the beetles barrier. out. Yeah, it was a barrier. But we had this, this perfect storm happened and, and they ended up in, in Alberta. What kept them under control in BC was, was weather. So you needed a combination. You needed a, co a combination of low snow and cold weather because they winter, uh, over the winter, they're in the base of the trees is where they, where they live. That's how they spend their winter. And if you get too much snow, that insulates and, and uh, then they, they survive. So you have to have low snow and then you need a week or 10 days, I think it is a 40 below. Well, we've uh, had some of that in some places here in Alberta since the pine beetle have come, and it is helping curtail them. It seems to be the only thing that, that, that stops them because nobody knows that you've even got pine beetle in a, in a body of, or in a, um, a forest until things start to die, and then that's too late because what happens is they bore into the tree and you get these little sap funnels, and uh, that, that, that's from the sap weeping out of the bore. The beetle itself doesn't kill the tree, but it brings a bacteria with it, or a fungus, no, a fungus, it's a fungus, right? Because it turns the 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 wood gets a, gets a blue ring on it, and that's that's what actually kills the tree. But it's it's happening a year or two years after the beetle's been there and gone, and, and then they, they hatch out again in the, the next June, and they fly again, and, and they go and fast others. Right now, they're only on the pine. They don't touch the spruce. Uh, but it, we've ended up, uh, we've got sand ridges here, so that means here in Alberta when you got sand, you got pine. And uh, we've got a bunch of uh, dead pine, beetle killed, and, and we're turning it into firewood. Yeah, um, it's a great use for it because otherwise it blows down and once it hits the ground, it really doesn't last. So we take the standing dead and, um, and turn it into something useful, which is great. I call it zombie wood. Ah, the standing dead though, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. I really never thought about that. But what I thought about was was that as long as it's standing, it it never really it's never really dry. It's like it's halfway between dead and, and alive. Zombie. Yeah, zombie. Exactly. <laughs> so it uh, once once you knock it down and you split it, and that then it dries up and becomes good wood. But until that point, it's zombie wood. It ain't no good. And I wouldn't turn my back on it. No. No. I just. I was just looking at my shirt going, don't we have some, like, zombie bullets in the... I think that's the shirt you got yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You got the Hornady <laughs> Zombie Max on. <laughs> the Zombie Max bullets. I guess if there's any zombies that... Anyway, that's way off topic. So it takes us about a day and a half uh, of me bucking it up, knocking it down, bucking it up, and you, you load it in the trailer yeah. and haul it back while I keep cutting. So she's efficient at keeping me busy, guys. She's efficient. She knows that if she, if she can drive the Argo back and unload it, I, I don't got to quit. Which sometimes, you know, I, she worked me to death. She could work me to death. Well, and as we said at the top of the show, I'm just going to ignore that. <laughs> at the top, um, I Come said that it was very, it'd been very wet out here. And in fact, um, as, we were, as we were driving to where, where our little stand is of all these standing dead trees, Rich had to get out and... Um, and knock out a few beaver dams, or at least take them down a notch. Just it's a little wee bit. The whole problem is, is that when you have a, a ton or a ton and a half of, uh, of wood in that in that 
eight foot Argo trailer. And if the Argo's out in the water floating, you can't pull it. No. So. so all we needed is to take it down six or eight inches. There's still enough water in there that prevents anybody that doesn't have an Argo from coming through and bothering us or, or um, getting into things. We are very remote, so there's not very many people that do get in here. But anyway, um, it does make quite a difference. And in fact, the dogs were swimming while we were out there doing that. Well, it takes about a day and a half, maybe maybe two days, to get the the six loads yeah. that we need for 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 the winter. And we get about a cord, a cord of wood, a, a load on that uh, on that big trailer. Yeah. And then I don't know. I probably average a little, about a cord and a half an hour uh, splitting with the with the Range Road two seventy. Boy, that's there. that's just such a great machine. I and this this past winter. Not that we've put it on the show at all, but this past winter, some friends of ours um, got a big load of birch delivered yep. to their yard, and we went out there on Logging New Year's. Truck load. Yeah, yeah, on New Year's Day, and um, and split. How many cords of wood did we split that day? I think we put three cords in the in the trailer. That yeah. Day. You know, the, the thing is, is that I'm pretty damn good with an axe. Yeah. And I've been proud of my ability with an axe, like. I used to be pretty good, took a pretty good man or two to keep up with me and with, with an eight pound splitting maul in my hand, but I'm getting older. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But more than that, it's the time. Yeah. It's the time. Like I don't, I, I still love using an ax. I love using a chainsaw and all that. But, you know, at the end of the day to look at that mountain of wood and, and go after it with an ax, you know, uh, uh, it just takes so much time. And this, this saves us so much time when we're putting up that wood. I mean, we can do it so much quicker. Yeah, and that saves time for you to clean up your skin and shack then. <laughs> <laughs> I had no, he really is a I good housekeeper. A, I had really to is. evict two homeless guys already. <laughs> oh, geez. That's rough. <laughs> <laughs> what we haven't had a chance to do yet, though, is to get out and... Um, and have a, a view of what's going out on the line other than just we took a little trip over to see if we could get at those tamarack last night and um, and we must have had a, like a late snow maybe because yeah. there's quite a few of the of the poplar saplings and stuff that are growing up along the line along all of our lines that we travel on a on a consistent basis we've had a lot of that come folding over so that's one of the things that we like to do in the summertime is to get out and do that of course I mean it's almost tempting fate because generally what happens is right before trapping season we get another wet snow and we have to go do it all over again well we've got two things that are going on right now uh, one we are absolutely saturated here well a lot of BC is on fire yeah a lot of Manitoba Ontario and that's on fire here in uh, northwestern uh, Alberta, we are saturated. Um, look at coming in. I thought I was going to have to put the chains on the on the truck to get yeah. in the, the other night. But the problem that happens there is the the poplar um, like to grow in in that uh, ground that's on the edge of of all of your uh, your swamps and that. And the swamps, of course, the water comes up in and, and the ground becomes saturated. And it becomes a hazard. This is an actual hazard. A lot of the oil companies, north of here especially, like up towards high level and that, mm -hmm. a lot of the oil companies, when the days when the wind blows, they pull everybody out of the bush. And the reason being is that the ground is so saturated that uh, the trees start blowing over. 
and we've already we've already seen that a couple of places uh, where you know the, the root ball and everything's just tilted right up out of the uh, out of the uh, ground, and it's not like we had a big wind. It's just the fact that it's so saturated and can't hold it in anymore. So that's starting to happen. Um, we have had a lot of uh, just a little bit. We've traveled around. I, I can see we've got a lot of those saplings that are bent over, and of course as the winter goes on and they get a little bit more snow, and then pretty soon I'm, you know. First you're ducked down and hiding and trying to drive through it, and then after that you're starting to chop stuff out of the way. It just becomes more and more difficult, right? <laughs> yeah. What is he doing over there? Oh, that dog and a <laughs> stick, man. Anyway. He's, he's, he's entertaining, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he entertains himself, thank goodness. You know the best part about being out here? I mean, this is the life. I need a new coffee, so we're going to have to stop this for a minute, and I'm going to have to go grab another coffee, but... We get out here and we refer to it as flannel therapy. <laughs> Even in the summertime, I keep flannel sheets on the bed in the cabin. And uh, I don't know. It must be all in our heads or something. I don't know. Anyway, uh, you sleep like you've uh, never the, had a good sleep before ever. The sleep of the just ever. and the innocent. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I might qualify for one out of two on that. <laughs> <laughs> you picked the one. <laughs> I'm not picking anything. <laughs> but the same kinds of things that go on at home do go on out here. I mean, there's always dishes to do and sweeping to be done and beds to make and so on and so forth. But um, we do have a lot of time outdoors here. Well, I'm going to stop this for a minute here and, and go grab another coffee and we'll be right back. All right, and we're back. <laughs> I'm trying to dig a bug out of my coffee. <laughs> hey, that's part of the flavor out here. <laughs> it's part of being on location. <laughs> you know one thing that, uh, cleaning up, one of the things I'm cleaning up is the piles of uh, Fisher and Martin traps. Uh, yeah. And here in uh, northern Alberta, uh, most of Canada, the, all we can use is body grips. We can no longer foothold anything like that. So uh, we have all 120 and 160 size uh, body grips is what we use for our Fisher and Martin. Yeah. Um, we get a lot of questions about how we prepare them. And I'm gonna tell you right now that any trap that I've got that, like a body grip that doesn't go into the water, all I do is just take the uh, oil off of, and, yeah. you know, cause they don't rust. When no. they're up in a tree or, or whatever, they, we just don't have a rust problem here. Well, typically it's very dry here in the, in the winter time. And uh, the trap is up in a box, uh, for unless it's sprung, and then it's got an animal in it, and it hangs for maybe as much as three or four days. But that would be it. Well, I, I would. Uh, all I do is I take them out of the box. Um, don't tell Sandy, but lots of times I put them in the dishwasher to take the oil. <laughs> uh huh. Also, the other thing he puts it in is my turkey cooker. <laughs> that's different. That's that. That's uh, wolf snares. Mm. Those are important. They have I to. I think that's a lie. No, they 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 have to be boiled. They have to be uh, uh, treated and and uh, the scent taken off of them. But ouch! Do I got a bug here or what? No. No bugs. Okay. Lots of bugs around. With the uh, with the body grips, those 120s and 160s, it's just very simply get the oil off so that if I catch an animal in them, uh, that oil doesn't leave a mark on the pelt. Yeah. 
Uh, after that, I don't do anything. When it comes to the body grips that I put underwater, those are the only ones that I really do anything with, like those 330s and, and uh, 280s that I'll use for otter and, and beaver underwater. Those I, I uh, dip. I will either paint or dip in a, in a dip or use logwood crystals or whatever, something to seal them up. Do not wax them. No. <laughs> <laughs> do, do not wax them because uh, there is nothing worse than you got to understand how it works that dog there's a notch in that dog and it just rests uh against a fully loaded jaw like there's tension against it and just the friction <laughs> holds it there you take and wax that you introduce wax into there and you've you're basically got one foot on a banana peel and the other one in the trap. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. So that's a good or a way. Or hand to... in the trap. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. One fellow sent us a picture last year there. He had uh, both his thumbs had got caught in the same 330 Ooh. at once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on some future podcasts, we'll probably talk a little bit about safety. Yeah. Um, that would fall into the safety, the safety component in terms of don't wax those kinds of traps but um overall like i said it's very dry here in the winter time so we don't really have a problem with rust no none, none at all and as far as the ones that go uh, underwater that's a whole different story look at that big old horse fly on him there you go buddy uh, lots of times you get 330s that have been underwater and a, and a spring breaks and people complain that it's poor quality springs or whatever. Around here, we have an immense amount of uh, acid in the water from the rotting vegetation. Um, hydrochloric acid, I think it is, is what is what the, it's a, a byproduct of, of the vegetation rotting. So what happens is, the, is you put that trap underwater and instantly overnight it turns absolutely black. Once you pull it out and the air hits it, then that becomes instant rust. Um, I was getting 330s like, 330s that weren't very old, like after two weeks of being in the water, I'd get a broken spring on them. And yeah. I was really unhappy. I thought maybe I got a bad run of traps or whatever. And I talked to the uh, the trap manufacturer and he said to me, he says, well, how many of them break on, on land? And I says, none. He says, it's your water. It's the acid in your yeah. water. And I thought, well, I don't the know, The things man. that you don't think about, but yeah. you should. But then he kept saying, how many ever break on, on land? That was now, that was four or five years ago was when that that happened and and since then i treat everything that goes into the water and i don't have any more broken ones so as stupid as it sounds the acid in the water can be hard on those springs yeah so it's just a tip i guess if uh if anybody has been experiencing those kinds of things something to look at for sure no question at all yeah and what else do you do because at this time of year we always start thinking about preparation because we're never too far from the end of one season and the beginning of another. We're, we're quite lucky, as we've come to understand, that our, our trapping season for various... We, we have such a wide variety of animals and we have the ability to trap a number of them. So we uh, our trapping season extends quite significantly beyond what, what some others... First, first of October to the 15th of May. Yeah. We have, what, four and a half months of, of like the year that. where we don't have an actual season. And as far as beaver and that goes, or or bear or or uh, coyotes and that, you can always pull a, a uh, depredation or a, uh, damage, control. a damage control permit and, and still trap them. The only time of the year I don't like to trap beaver, 
I mean, I'll do damage control this time of the year. Now we're in August. I don't like doing it in June. No. Because it's those little ones. Those, those kits are yeah. just born. Yeah, and they, they can't swim for a month. So they count on mum for a month. I don't care if the day they first swim outside the lodge, I catch them. That's fine. I just, to me, it's just something that I don't agree with. Uh, just, just on a, I don't know, on my own personal basis, right? Yeah. Everybody has their own beliefs. So, anyway, one of the other things that we do, though, uh, and we're going to talk a lot about this, about saving time on this podcast, and that's because time is the most precious thing when it comes to a trapper. Everything else you can replace. It seems like uh, a lot of people say daylight's the most precious thing. Well, we we don't have any, so I mean we're used to doing stuff in the dark. Things. Well, are... we have lots of it in the summertime, but that's not when we're trapping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have about eighteen hours worth of daylight and and uh, six hours worth of of uh, dim of dim of dimness in in the summertime. Yeah. <laughs> but in the winter, it's it's a lot less. Yeah, it's probably six hours of dim. Really? So that's why a lot of the stuff that we do, whether we're, we're trying to clean trails or, or putting up our, our winters with the wood, like I can't be putting up wood in the wintertime. There's just no time. So another thing I do is like bait, uh, you know, from a Martin and Fisher. We go through a lot of bait. Yes, and, we do. And probably your biggest success is keeping a good chunk of bait in there all the time. Mm-hmm. If you ha- end up having a, a, a bad run where you don't get at it for, for a week or two, we have so many uh, shrews out here and the shrews just eat frozen meat like like crazy they'll also eat your fur if they get a chance at it so maybe the just sorry for interrupting but a shrew is like a mouse oh no way Looking. tinier way tinier you're, you're thinking of a vole ah uh, yes i a am vole, a red back yep. vole okay which is, so the shrews are about that big a lot of them look like a, a, a if you imagine something the diameter of a dime and furry and round and with, with, with a little pointy nose on one end and, and four little legs sticking out. And that's, that's a lot what a shrew looks like. Some of them get bigger, yeah. but they, that, that's the ones that cause trouble. And they can go through the, your, like I hold uh, the meat in our, in our boxes with a, a screen. Mm-hmm. And the screen is, is um, quarter inch by quarter inch. Yep. And they go through that quarter inch like nothing. And they get at my get out my bait and they just clean everything up <laughs> it looks like something out of out of biology class because lots of times we use uh, muskrats from because uh, we do muskrats just before yeah. at the end of october just before uh, our martin and fisher start in uh, in november and you, you, use the carcass of I, the use, muskrat. I use the carcass keep keep, keep the carcass and, and bring them out throw half one in every every box and then lots of times they, when the shrews get on them as soon as it freezes they they really start eating meat and when the shrews get on it, you'll have this perfect little skeleton in there with no meat on it. Yeah. <laughs> They'll have cleaned it right off. And the worst part about that is that there will be enough odor there to attract a, a martin or a fisher there. But when they look up in it, it, it just won't seal the deal, right? Yeah. So you got to keep, uh, keep putting the fresh meat in there. One of the things I've taken to do, a lot of, a lot of guys use beaver. And, a, you know, a, a beaver, that's a great use for the carcass if you're not selling it to to uh, bear hunters or whatever is, is is to have it around, chop it up and throw it into your boxes and that. But a beaver carcass itself takes up a lot of room. Oh yeah. And if you, so what I do is I take and slide the guts out of them and I put the guts into pails. Don't open any of the pails out behind the shop. <laughs> <laughs> it's this mystery tour we have around the place at home. And I yeah. use I use them on, on my, uh, the guts, the, the um, sweetened as we'll call it sweetened guts uh, I use on my wolf baits 
but then I take the carcasses and I chop them up. You would be amazed. You know those Rubbermaid tubs you get mm -hmm. there? I don't know, 10 liter or something like that? They're, I don't know. They're six, fairly flat. Like, they're not the great big tall ones. No, they're about maybe 8, 10 inches yeah. deep. And How many beaver can you get in there? I can put, I can chop up and put over two 50-pound beavers in there. Wow. You know, I mean, there's no guts in them and all that. And, of course, once the legs and everything are collapsed, it fits in a lot better. But I, I'm amazed. So now I have a stack of them. It's about, uh, well, there's four of them that are full of beaver. I think I've got in the four of them, I think there's nine or ten beaver all chopped up and put these in these yeah. four. And I just pull them out, flip the, you know, put them on the floor of the, of the shop and thaw them before we go to use them. They're all in chunks. It, it saves me a bunch of time of either chopping them up out here. Yeah. Or, or trying to chop them as, as, as you're uh, baiting and setting up. So that's another time saver, you know, yeah. that, that thinking. That well, we call ahead. it making time, actually, because there's, there's so many things that you can do preparation-wise that allow you to move quicker. And moving quicker in the cold is, is a trick anyway. And the dark, the dark is a big factor for us up here, as we've talked about before, is we don't, we don't have the daylight um, like lots of lots of people down in the U.S. They'll have nearly 12 hours of daylight even even in the winter time. Of course, they have that in the summertime too. But we have yeah. longer days in the summer. Yeah. Very short days in the winter time. And the more that we can do to be prepared for that, so we don't have to be taking up a bunch of time. And dark is dangerous too. You just you know I mean things get harder to do in the dark. They do and. You miss things in the dark that you, that you see yeah. very obvious in the in the daylight. Like I mean, some of the stuff that uh, there's some parts of the of the line that I might not see in the daylight for a month on end yeah. because by, by the time I'm getting through there, I'm going through there in the dark, and then suddenly things change up, and I go there during the daylight, and I wonder when the heck did that happen? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just the things when you're doing everything by either the light of the of the Argo or the snowmobile yeah. or the headlamp. And the headlamp is really important for us when we're out and about. But, um, yeah, so those are some of the things. And, and that's one of the topics that we'll explore a little deeper in future podcasts. But it's just kind of making time. Yeah, exactly. Right? Making time. Making things more efficient. And, yeah. and uh, there you got a big old horse fly. I do. Yeah, we've got a few of them out here on, on set. Where, where is our official bug killer? <laughs> I don't think we have one. We have bait. Like, um, Eli's just the biggest bait for those things. Yeah, they like eating gunner, too, though. Yeah, they do. There's lots of horse They don't care there. about FUD. I don't know why. Or he doesn't care about them. Maybe that's the trick. Yeah. So the other thing that we did this summer, um, you know, given that we, we haven't been out here, one of, the, one of the really fun things that we did is we drove from our home uh, near Grand Prairie, Alberta, in northwestern Alberta, Canada, all the way down to Escanaba, Michigan. And uh, it was fun because we got to visit with a few family and friends along the way. Um, but it was a really entertaining and well-attended National Trapping Association convention. Uh, they do move it around. And this year in Escanaba, Michigan, they I think they said there was about 12,000 people. Or, they figured, yeah. Yep. That was going to come through the door. Yeah. I'm not sure that's how many coming through the door or, the, or, or that and the, and the uh, exhibitors. There was a lot of people. Um, it was a 30-hour drive one way for us. and That's dedication. Ah, it is, but you know what? We had a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, we, we, we got to visit a few people going there. Coming back wasn't so much fun. We just 
That was kind of hammer down and get home so that we could be prepared because that was, we just got home last weekend and uh, to get caught up on the time away because we'd been gone a week. And uh, we we actually recorded some podcasts there. None, neither of none of them. How many did we do? I don't remember. Anyway, none of them did, we did on video, but um, we still had a great time getting to know some of the exhibitors there, people that we've worked with before, still maybe in the future. Um, well, it, where else do we get a chance to talk to legends in the industry? That's very true, right? There's, there was people we talked to there that we'd never get a chance to talk to anywhere else, and, and it was uh, it was entertaining, it was enlightening, it was uh, it was very worthwhile. I want to say thank you to uh, the Youpers. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, uh, they made everyone very welcome. There were signs throughout the community, welcome trappers, so that was fantastic. The, the fact that um, a community like that uh, really opens its arms to the trapping community is worth celebrating. That wind is getting bad. Yeah, we'll have to probably shut it down pretty quick. But I also wanted to say thanks to all the people who are fans of the show that took the time to come and talk to us while we were walking around the grounds. We didn't have a booth or any central location, so some people didn't get a chance to, to chat with us. But Hopefully we'll be at future ones. The next one is in Missouri. So if we go, um, I don't think we're driving. <laughs> no, I think we'll fly to that one. It was it was really cool, though, that there were so many people and that it is so... Trapping has such a strong heritage. Yeah. Like, uh, there's still so many people that are, that are involved and, and excited about it. And we got a lot of feedback about how people are getting back into it. Yeah. You know, that our show actually has enthused, uh, you know, made them interested in, get, in getting back into it. The one thing I got to comment about is that there was so many different uh, lure and bait manufacturers and there was so many different uh, uh, retailers and wholesalers and, and online people, that, but the tailgaters. Yeah. Like, tailgating, y'all, is nothing that happens in Canada. <laughs> Mostly, I guess, because most of the time we're landlocked in ice. Yeah. <laughs> so nobody wants to be outside. But I'd never been anywhere where there was this tailgating thing before. Yeah. And uh, I saw it first in Illinois last year. And I mean, yeah. it's not new for the NTA no. No, convention no, no, no. It's to not have new for anything in the U.S. <laughs> it was just new to us. So very new to us. Anything that's new to us is worth talking about. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, you can yeah. buy everything from. Somebody had a taxidermy elk elk head mount there uh-huh. to uh, hooped fur and skins and there was horn mugs and there was every knife and and, and traps and trap and antique traps well and some of them are freshly antiqued from soaking in the in well the, but the I, creek. I remember <laughs> last year so last year a friend of ours had he was outfitting his what would you call it kind of his trophy room I his guess man room yeah his man man cave and he said, be on the lookout for... He wanted a number six... Uh, um, Newcastle? New, yeah, yeah, Newhouse. Newhouse. Yeah. Um, Newcastle's your favorite beer in South Africa. That's true, yes. <laughs> that's why it sprung to mind first. <laughs> uh, so a number six Newhouse, and we actually found it. And uh, then then the hunt was on, how are we going to get that much cash? <laughs> Yeah, it was five thousand bucks, but once it, once it validated out and everything was was true, it was it was a real 
It was a real deal. And it was a, a great specimen, too. A lot of people don't understand how few of those were built. Yeah. You know, like uh, the ones that would actually have the stamped springs and that, uh, the, those are numbered in the hundreds. Not, yeah. Not thousands upon thousands, as everybody thinks. No, there was very, very few of those actual bear traps with new. The other thing you saw last year was a muskrat trap for live trapping muskrats. Oh, that was so cool, yeah. Yeah, it... it, it, it it's an, like, like a looks like shell almost. Well, yeah. an armadillo. They, yeah. It was called an armadillo trap. Yeah. Uh, a, gib, a gibbs, I believe it is. Gibbs. And so it's got these overlying sheafs of, uh, uh, in, a, in a half circle, like a, if you imagine an armadillo. But they, they are, they all fold down one into the other and there's a, a, a pan in the middle. And when the, the uh, muskrat steps on the pan, well, it, these, uh, Closes over top of it like a clamshell yeah. closing or whatever, but they they do it in this in this sequenced uh, events uh, like a, a modern building roof or something all sliding together, and then it also lifted up so that it lifted the uh, the trap kind of on legs up out of the water so that this muskrat wouldn't drown because yeah. where the guy was doing it was I think it was in the marshes of New Jersey, and of course there are uh, tides there, yeah, and the muskrats could, would be trapped in there and they would drown. He was using the, the for the live market it was really really cool anyway but that was anyway remarkable. if we ever get our hands on one of them we'll show you how it works yeah. <laughs> but i think uh, with the wind coming up we're gonna have to uh cut this short call it a day yeah i uh, what our podcast is going to be about is just it's just about us this is about what we do and that so there's we're gonna have people on here we're gonna have, have we got a gunsmith coming up we're gonna talk about about custom guns and the most common uh, accuracy problems that we have. We're going to be uh, talking about what goes in our backpack when we go to the mountains. We're, uh, we're gonna, of course, big focus on, on trapping and, and that kind of stuff, but it's just gonna be about life. Yep, and the things, quirky or not, that we find interesting, we might they might not be quirky. Maybe, maybe we're not alone. anyway be sure to check us out the best place to go is to www.trappinginc.com and from there you can find our facebook instagram twitter our amazon prime and the podcast and the youtubes and youtubes yeah yes and please subscribe because we do appreciate that and find us on Facebook. We've always got something interesting going on there. And, and a lot of our folks that follow us uh, post up there too. So it's always quirky or not, good information. Thank you for listening today.